This is the place that the UFC and Bellator come to for the inside scoop of what's going on in the world of mixed martial arts. The doors of the gym are opened up just for you. We are the MMA Insiders. Here are your hosts, Jason Floyd of the MMA Report and the president of Combat Sports Media, Sam Kaplan. Episode 100 of the MMA Insiders podcast is here. And boy, Sam, do we have a lot to talk about. Uh, and and our, our good old friend Rob Macy had uh, has some things to say to us on social media. Well, you know, we I want to give Rob some credit. I was pretty critical, downright judgmental at times of, you know, his efforts with the MMA FA and some of the comments that he made towards the brand new PFA. And I thought he handled those comments you know, at least from a public standpoint, very professionally. And, you know, if if somebody had been that critical of me, you know, I would want an opportunity to kind of come on and give my side as well. So, you know, I applaud him for, you know, taking it in stride and not, you know, getting emotional about it or not taking it personally. The issue, though, is, you know, him wanting to go on Bloody Elbow Radio. And if you followed the tweets, that was what he wanted to do. He wanted to have a discussion about some of my comments and some of his positions regarding the MMA FA and how it differs from the PFA and, and whatnot. And he wanted to go on Bloody Elbow Radio. And I, look, Bloody Elbow Radio is great. Bloodyelbow.com is a tremendous site. And I, I love, you know, a lot of the stuff that they do. But that would be similar to Bill O'Reilly going on his Fox News show calling out someone and then that's someone saying you know what i want to come on and get equal time and, and address some of the points that you raised but let's go on rachel maddow show and do it it just doesn't it's not going to happen yeah, you know we, we do it we do a, a podcast here we are podcast hosts you know anybody that we're that critical of if they feel like they've been you know misrepresented uh, that they're misunderstood we will always give them equal time absolutely but what we're not going to do, we're not going to allow anyone to come on our show and place conditions on that. And, and if somebody feels like, you know, they, they feel a need to, to respond to what we're saying, but they're concerned about whether or not they're going to get a fair shake, then, you know, one condition I will agree to is I will talk to them off the air and off the record and kind of give them a little bit of an idea of what they can expect from us so they can prepare a little. I'm not going to give them a prepared list of questions. I'm not going to tell them that I'm not going to ask this or not ask that. But, you know, if somebody had that concern, I, I would be more than happy to, to talk to them off the air, off the record, and just kind of, you know, go over, you know, how how things would go. And it's kind of interesting, Jason. We've tried to get some pretty pertinent guests on this show, and we've gotten commitment from those guests Yet when push comes to shove, they, they'd never make it on the air. And, and, and Rob and I, we had a little bit of a back and forth. It was professional on, on uh, Twitter uh, through direct messages and trying to get him on this show. And I guess there was either a misunderstanding or a miscommunication, but communication between us just stopped. And, you know, I, I followed up with him a couple of days ago to try to get him on this episode of the show and, and have not gotten a response. And maybe Rob's busy. Maybe he's got a lot of stuff going on, you know. Uh, life moves pretty fast for a lot of people, so you know I'm understanding of that. But the the invitation is open for Rob Macy, the head of the, of the MMA FA, to to come on this show and respond to a lot of the 
things that I said on the last episode of the MMA Insiders. So, you know, if, if Rob's listening to this or if someone that knows Rob is listening to this, you know, again, the invitation is open. Just no conditions can be placed. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the question has got to be asked. And, you know, is you know, last week on this podcast, Sam, we were talking about how, you know, typically I'm a guy that, that goes to bed, you know, by 10, you know, if I'm up till 11, that's kind of a late night. And, you know, last week, it was on Thursday, I stayed up late and, and watched the PFA's press conference, which, you know, one of the things that, uh, you know, one of my main takeaways from it was, you know, there were two fighters in attendance at that press conference. One of those, Leslie Smith, who has been very, you know, out there about the fact of supporting MMAFA. Also, Matt Mitrione, who, who's, uh, you know, I don't know if he's kind of come out and said he's all about the MFA, but he wants to see things better for fighters, which is something we would like to see. And, you know, more fighters, I think that, you know, you should be looking at at both sides of the situation. Now, these two groups are are different groups. You know, they're not the same. We're going to get into those. Also, I'm going to give some unsolicited advice to someone on on this side of the story, give give them my thoughts of what, they really should do. and We need uh, some production for that segment, Jason. We need some kind of intro, I'll, I'll, some kind of little jingle. Can, can, you, can you work on that for us? I, I can talk to our voiceover guy, and, uh, yeah, we, we can definitely get that taken care of. But, obviously, uh, there's a lot of things we want to talk about, uh, what's happened over the past uh, week in MMA. Of course, we'll, also, we'll talk about what happened last Saturday night in Las Vegas, UFC 202. By the way, Sam, I did. I was able to watch the main event live. There was about five of us on the bus going to uh, going to the uh, the team uh, airport airplane, and uh, it just happened to work out that literally as Bruce Buffer announced Conor McGregor as the winner, we got off the bus, did our security, and got on the plane. So we got to watch that fight uh, live. It's amazing how many people can sit there and watch a little iPhone screen to watch the fight, but uh, very good fight. We'll talk about some of the stuff that happened UFC 202, including Lawrence Larkin, now a free agent, also. Uh, talk about uh, some comments made by Joanne Calderwood, uh, Daniel Cormier Tweets, John Jones, Marcin Held. Also something that was stated on the last week's Wrestling Observer about Mark Hunt. And also, you know, I think we can kind of mention this here quickly, Sam. Really, if you're talking about the business side and, and particularly the business side of Bellator MMA, some huge news came out on Saturday. Yes, Philippe Dumont has accepted essentially what I would term a buyout. There had been a back-and-forth tug-of-war to kind of get him out, at least get him off the board at uh, Viacom, and he was fighting that that move and challenging Sumner uh, Redstone's, basically his competency due to his age, and trying to fight uh, Sumner Redstone's move to get him out of there. And it looked like there was going to be a prolonged battle there. And wouldn't you know it, he uh, is elected to take a golden parachute, one of the most amazing golden parachutes you'll ever hear about. He is uh, pressed the button on the ejector seat. He's going away, going away quietly. I think he's going to remain on the board, but is really going to have uh, not much power. I think it's a non-voting position on the board. But he he is uh, cashing out, and I believe his severance package, Jason, $74 $74 million. He's uh, getting paid $74 million to walk away. Hey, God bless him, Sam. God bless him. I mean, you can but if they can afford, if Viacom can afford to pay $74 million for, uh, you know, uh, I guess he's, what is it, the chairman, CEO? He was the uh, chief executive. 
So he was the CEO. For him to walk away, you think they could afford maybe to have paid Zach Light, you know, a couple grand, you know, maybe ten, fifteen, twenty thousand, when when they were parting ways with him, so that they wouldn't be in the situation that they're in right now. I mean, if you can afford to pay those kinds of severance packages, take care of Zach Light. I'll tell you the other you know, thing to mention, and you know, and, and we've talked about this, you know, obviously not recently, but at, at some point since we started doing this podcast, you know, Dumont was a huge supporter of MMA and a huge supporter of Bellator MMA in particular. So it's going to be kind of interesting to see, you know, how all this change at Viacom, how it does affect Bellator going forward. And the interim CEO is a guy that's been with the company for twenty eight years. We don't know whether he loves MMA, hates MMA, or even knows what MMA is. But anytime there's a change at the top like that, you definitely are going to have some sleepless nights. Because Viacom, as a corporation as a whole, has not been on top of its game the last couple of years. There's been, you know, quite a few issues across all of their different all of their different departments within that company, and it's not trending upward right now. You look at their TV component, you know, you look at the VH1s, the MTVs, the Spike TVs, a lot of their TV networks from a rating standpoint are are, are definitely, uh, you know, I don't want to say the word struggling, but they're not doing as well as they had in the past. Uh, Their carriage deals are not as strong as they once were as far as channel placement. And, you know, if you're a Spike TV watcher, there's a good chance that, you know, it's, it's, you know, much lower. It's 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 in a different channel tier than it once was. It used to be, uh, you know, used to be you know bunched with you know TNT, TBS, USA, FX, all the top ten cable networks. And it was always strange to see Spike TV mixed in there because Spike TV, you know, on its best day, you know, is a top thirty cable network, but it's not drawing the ratings anywhere near where TNT, USA, TBS, and so on and so forth, uh, you know. Draw. So, you know, I think a lot of uh, cable distributors distributors are recognizing uh, Spike's, you know, placement in the TV ratings, and they've dropped them um, down a lot. And, it, you know, if, if you're if you believe that, you know, channel surfing uh, equates to ratings sometimes, then, you know, they're, they're further down the dial and they're maybe not getting as many people tuning in to some of their programming simply by happenstance. Yeah, I mean, for me, um, for my cable provider, which is uh, Frontier Communications, they're, um, they're right there in that group of uh, USA, you know, TNT, FX. They're all right uh, in there. They start like around like 550. I want to say Spike is 554. So, I mean, it's all kind of right there. But, you know, I, I've talked about this on this podcast. I just I, I have cable. I just don't watch a lot of cable. I really don't. Um, that's why, that's why unless it, it's you know? unless it's live sporting events, I mean that's you know most of the stuff I watch on cable is DVR. Of course, Bellator does have a car coming up on uh, Friday night, 10 p.m. Um, East Coast time, uh, so one hour later than than normally. Four fight main card. Of course, that fight card has gone through a lot of changes. Georgia Carhanian, Bobby Jenkins now on the main card. I, I think that Bellator has just cursed themselves because every time. They really promote featured prelim bout. We saw, you know, back earlier this year with Dave Jansen and Marcin Held. That fight ended up being on the main card for this fight card. They, it was all about Georgie and and Bubba. That gets elevated to the main card. Baby Slice was on that preliminary card. He's now off that card. 
uh, due to an injury. So you do have Joey Davis on that card, Chinzo Machida, but uh, you know probably two names that uh, is not going to you know convince a lot of people to all of a sudden turn on those. Bellator prelims on Friday night. Sam, I will not be watching Bellator on Friday night. I'll be uh, DVRing it because uh, we have our uh, the Bucks had our first preseason home game on um, on Friday, so I'll be at the stadium bright and early at about uh, three thirty in the afternoon for an eight o'clock game. So uh, I will not be able to watch those fights live. But you know, I'm interested to see uh, Benson Henderson and Patricio Pitbull. I did talk to Patricio Pitbull last week. Uh, always uh, Patricio, always an excellent interview. So I'll have that uh, later on this week. People will be able to hear that on the MMAReport.com. But, uh, you know, obviously the major topic we want to talk about is uh, the MMA, MMAFA and the PFA. And, of course, uh, you know, it was uh, you know very interesting to hear Jeff Boris and Lucas Middlebrook talk about what they want to do. And, you know, one of the things that's kind of interesting is they're calling themselves the Professional Fire Association, but they have made it clear, Sam, they are a union. And one of the questions that we ended up getting uh, this week was what is the difference between an association and a union? And I pulled this uh, from the website ifpte.org, and it says this. Associations are organizations of people with common interests or purpose. People form associations for a number of reasons, such as retirement issues, professional certification, and even employee welfare or work issues. A union is a type of association though with one major difference. Members of a union have the legal right to engage in collective bargaining with an employer, and the employer is legally obligated to bargain with the union. To illustrate, assume you and your colleagues want to form an employee association to advocate for professional development and improve benefits from your employer. You are free to create such an association. However, your employer is not legally required to talk to you or negotiate with your organization. On the other hand, if you and your colleagues form a union to address those same issues, your employer would legally be required to negotiate in good faith. Furthermore, forming a union is a democratic process that requires approval by a majority of your colleagues, while anyone, even an employer, can set up an association. So uh, that question came in from at WWE Big Show Fan 6. So that is your difference between an association and a union. And, you know, you know, to me, going back to that PFA press conference last Thursday in Las Vegas, I would, I thought that maybe we would hear more fighters would attend. And maybe they were watching. Maybe they just didn't want to be seen there to where the media starts, you know, labeling out all their names. I'm sure a lot of them are watching. And, you know, my advice to any fighter and manager, Sam, would simply be is you should hear what the MAFA has to say and what they believe they can do for fighters. But you, you should also listen to PFA and see what they want to do and make a, a decision of if you want to get behind somebody, make your decision after talking to both parties. Leslie Smith is my new favorite fighter. That woman is fearless. I mean, she's gone on the record and done endorsement videos for the MMAFA, shows up at the PFA meeting last week. You would think that, you know, there's probably someone getting in her ear, hey, Leslie, you don't want to do these things. The, 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 the UFC might retaliate. You might lose your, lose your spot. She doesn't care. She's like the honey badger. She doesn't care. She's like the, the, the uncle that you have. That maybe you you see him on a vacation, or you see him on Christmas morning, or you see him at your you know at his his house. Wakes up in the morning, walks 
out into a room full of uh, you know of people, and he's you know he's all he's got is tidy whities on. He's letting it all hang out, and you tell him, hey, you know, do you want to put on some pants? And he 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 knows he doesn't have pants on. He just doesn't care. That's Leslie Smith. She's letting it all hang out. She doesn't care. You know, I mean, I guess in her mind, she's like. What is the UFC going to do to me that they haven't already done before? Are they going to give me a tough matchup? Are they going to put me, you know, punish me and put me in the cage with Cyborg? Oh, wait a minute. They already did that. She just doesn't care. But the thing that I loved about her was her questions and and what she was asking. And one of the things that she brought up where, you know, the MMAFA, their deal is they want to do it basically through free agency. That's how you increase fighter pay where – the PFA is, no, we're going to collectively bargain. And she asked that type of question of, you know, why do you feel this is the best way? So I commend her for that. And you know what? Every fighter, whether you want to do it publicly or privately, you should be asking those questions and decide on your own. Don't let tweets from people who are pushing certain things decide for yourself you should be reaching out to those people in both of those organizations. And look, there are other people out there who are behind the scenes who are also trying to create, whether it's an association or union, you should talk to those people as well and make a decision for yourself, not based on, and do not make your decision based on what other people are doing. And there's a sentiment out there. Why can't the PFA and the MMA FA work together? When you look at their vision of how, you know, they both want the same thing. That's to, you know, they want to do a lot of different things, but at the core of it, they want to increase increase the pay for fighters. But they both have vastly different visions of how they're going to be uh, go about doing that. And those visions, they you cannot marry those visions. They're two diametrically, diametrically opposed directions. You look at the PFA, they want to raise fighter pay through collective bargaining, through the with, and their major leverage is the threat of a strike. That's how they want to go about it. You look at the MMA FA; they don't want to unionize. They don't want to get certified. They don't want to go through the National Labor uh, National Labor Relations Board and become an actual union. They want to push the initiative of having the Ali Act adopted to MMA so that. In their minds, it would create a more open trade, free market environment and would allow more competition to rise up. And they would increase fighter pay through free agency and negotiation leverage. Right now, there really isn't a lot of negotiation leverage for the vast majority of fighters in MMA because for all intents and purposes – The UFC is the NFL, the Major League Baseball, the NHL, and the NBA of mixed martial arts. And, you know, if you're Ben Henderson, if you're Rory McDonald, if you're maybe a Phil Davis, yes, maybe you can, you know, create an open market environment for yourself. But that's not happening for the vast majority of fighters. So, Jason, to me, the question is, if you had to choose, if you were a fighter and you had to choose one or the other, if you were going to make that choice, you really have to bet on whether or not you think a – Union with the threat of strike against the UFC has more of a chance to stick and work or whether MAFA's MMA FA's vision of creating an open market and then in turn, once the open market is created and then the, the competitive uh, playing field is balanced, could a second promotion ascend to such a level that there really would be co- uh, competition for free agents on a regular basis? 
I mean, what you you kind of have to mm-hmm. bet on one vision over the other. And to me, it's very doubtful that either game plan could ever truly be implemented in an effective fashion. But you have to pick if you, if you had to pick one of the over the other. Which one are you going to go with? For me, I would I would I like what the PFA's saying. Now, like you said, them being able to accomplish it is a much different situation. I, I want to go back to that press conference because. Uh, you know, I was tweeting details about it, and, and uh, you know, I tried to just tweet out kind of the the good points that were being said. You know, early on, Jeff Boris, you know, talked about how he had reached out to Ari Emanuel, and uh, yeah, Ari Emanuel is not interested in ever talking to him. <laughs> uh, you know, Boris did say that fighters are being bullied, and it's embarrassing. He said that they were just targeting fighters who are under contract. With the UFC, uh, you know, Lucas Middlebrook was asked about, you know, hey, what's your budget here? You know, how are you getting this thing going? And he said, we have a budget of a startup. And uh, Lucas Middlebrook even joked later on in the press conference about, you know, if there was legal action, he goes, well, I guess I'll have a lot of pro bono cases. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, there was a point where Jeff Boris was showing the differences between the PFA and the MMA FA. And one of the major, my major takeaways from this press conference, and this came straight out of Jeff Boris's mouth, what has the MMA FA done in seven years to improve economic conditions? To me, Sam, that was the major thing that was clear about this. He also made it clear that the PFA is a union. MMA FA is an association, said that, uh, Bohr said his first goal was to raise minimum salaries. The second would be for medical benefits. And, you know, and, and this is also another quote from Jeff Boris where, and he said this a couple of times about the MAFA having seven years to do this. He goes, quote, let's see what we can do. And, you know, to me, that was just the big takeaway I, I took from it. And, you know, I, I would love to have Rob Macy on this show and say, what have you done in seven years to improve economic conditions? You, okay, so and, and and I've seen their tweets, and, and I've seen that. Okay, you've lobbied for an Ali Act. I'm sorry, folks. The Ali Act's not happening. And, and I, I see fighters tweeting like they think it's going to happen. Like, what do you think the Ali Act is going to do for MMA? How about this? Go talk to people in the boxing community and go. Who enforces it? No one. So what's it going to do for MMA? And, and I just I look at the MMAFA. It's like. Everything is so tied into the Ali Act. I don't get the sense there's a plan B. Well, a couple points I want to make here. You know, every, you know, you look at Major League Baseball. It's the MLBPA. It's the NFLPA. They're, they started out as associations, and even though they have association in their title, all the major sports, they're all unions. They all have their leverage through collective bargaining. Name me a major sports league that is a true trade association that is not unionized because I, I can't think of any. And if you're not unionized, if you're not collective, you know, you don't have the power to collective bargain for your constituency, how much power, how much juice does a trade association have in a major sports league? No, I mean, there's not. I mean, it, it, but it goes back to the point, and I'm not trying to. To, to say that Rob Macy and MAFA can't be that 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 um, organization that's going to help fighters out, but the thing that I look back at and say, you've had seven years. What have you done? Well, let's let's take a step back. Let's let's take Rob Macy's name out of it. Let's take Mafa's history out of it. Let's just say PFA started today. 
MMA FA started today, but the visions that they have, you know, that they have and have had are the exact same. But let's just say they're on equal footing as far as when they're starting. There's still a major fatal flaw in the MMA FA's vision. And that is to create a level playing field for competition in the MMA industry through the Ali Act. And in turn, if there's more competition to the UFC, there's an open market environment, there's free agency, and fighters have leverage, and they can negotiate better deals. But that whole vision is predicated on one thing, and that is that even once the playing field is level, that there's a promotion that can conduct itself in such a competent manner uh, manner that it can even approach being you know on a competitive plateau with the UFC we've been you know I've followed this sport for a long time I've been involved in this industry a long time I think everyone has seen the image of Dana White and that gravestone with all the promotions (laughs) that have fallen in in their you know at the hands of the UFC you know, so many of these promotions come in, and they've been well-funded. Elite XC burnt through over $50 million. IFL had over $40 million that they burnt through. We've seen all these promotions. They've had money. They've, they've had a lot of resources and advantages, and they've all blown it. And you look at Bellator now. This is, they're the current best option to be a rival to the UFC. And everyone that listens to this is going to say that I have an axe to grind and it's biased, but I don't like the moves that they're making. I don't think that they're growing the promotion. I don't think the promotion's moving in the right direction. And you can say it's me, but take, take my opinion out of the equation. Go on the Internet. Start talking to people. Start going to the UG. Go to the Sherdog forums. Go to MMA Twitter. I'm not the only one that's not exactly excited about the current direction of Bellator. I'm not the only one that doesn't feel like it's moving in a forward direction. And Uh and so, I mean, you could level the playing field, but it only works if a promotion operates in such a competent manner that it can even rival the UFC. And I think it's too late. I think it's absolutely too late for any – I mean, I I don't know if Bellator is even a legitimate number two – viable promotion, let alone a promotion that's going to compete with the UFC. I don't think any promotion now, I think the UFC is so far out in front, and now that they've got Ari Emanuel there and they've got these TV deals that are going to be renegotiated the next couple years for massive amounts of money, the the best you can hope to be now is the CFL of MMA. You're never going to be the NFL of MMA. That is reserved for the UFC, and the only way they're going to fall off that pedestal is if they screw it up themselves, and they've shown – over the years, that they know the business better than anyone. And, Sam, we both know this, that for Bellator to acquire the talent that um, becomes a free agent, and, you know, they're going to have to overpay for that talent, and the talent that the UFC doesn't want, they're going to let go. I mean, let's be honest about it. Phil Davis, Bellator got Phil Davis because the UFC just didn't want to be in the Phil Davis business. Phil Davis does not have a fighting style that they love. You know, it's not a fighting style that brings a lot of people to the television set. Yes, he's he's a, a top, uh, you know, six or seven, 205-pounder in the world, but he has a fighting style they want. I mean, look, Benson Henderson's a great fighter, but, I mean, they had to pay a lot of money to get Benson Henderson. And, you know, Benson Henderson's disclosed pay will come out for Bellator 160 this week because they are fighting in Anaheim, California, and uh, disclosed salaries are public record 
via the California State Athletic Commission. So you'll you'll see a salary there. Um, you know, but at the end of the day, when you know when Bellator goes out and you know spends all this money on a fighter, at some point there's got to be a return on that investment. You know, Viacom's just not going to sit there and, and keep you know saying, okay, you know, you can keep losing money. I mean, the promotion's got to make money, and you know, if you're paying guys six figures to fight, guaranteed every time they fight, they got to make money. And, and I, I, I mean, look, you talk to fans, I don't. You know, there was one time last year I thought Bellator had a ton of momentum going their way. And I, then, I agree. Look, when 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 Bjorn departed and they brought in Scott Coker, I, I was really excited. I, I had high expectations. Even after my contract wasn't renewed, I still believed in the promotion. And I just feel like the moves that they've made over time, though, is kind of you know, so, there's so many of them have been very perplexing. And I just don't get it. I don't understand the direction of Bellator. I don't understand its identity. I don't understand what their long-term vision is. And even if they, and I don't even know if they even have a long-term vision at this point. It just feels like they're going from show to show to show. Let's get through the next show, and then we'll worry about the next show. I mean, you talk about that, you know, head-scratching move. You know, letting Marcin Held walk and 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 releasing him. That's, I mean, Sam. When I when I saw his tweet about that, I was just like. What are you doing? I mean, let, I mean, Marcin's had what go. his mid twenties. They've let Held go with fights left on his contract. They let Eddie go with a with fights left. I think from what the reports I read, it was one fight left on his deal. Correct. They let Will Brooks go with two fights left on his deal. I mean, does, is Bellator so deep with talent they they can afford to let these guys walk without? Getting all the fights that they're that are owed to them. I mean, do they have so much depth and so many great fights that they can just you know forget about these guys fighting for them? I mean, what's the point in signing a long term contract if you're not going to use all the fights? And I can understand Bellator's perspective. You know, they're not here to speak for themselves. So I'm going to speculate and use some conjecture and, and thinking what their logic is. You know, I don't know how many fights Marcin Held had left on his contract. From what I've read on Twitter, it was supposedly one fight. And I understand that that philosophy when you're trying to resign a fighter, he won't resign. It doesn't matter how much you offer him, he won't resign. He just says he wants to wait till his contract up is up, and then he'll talk. To, you know, then he'll talk. What that is code for is I don't want to resign with you. I want to go to the UFC. I want to become a free agent as soon as possible. And I get that. You're thinking to yourself, okay, we only have one fight with him left. It's for a decent amount of money. He's not coming back. Why continue to invest in this guy if he's not a part of our long-term future? And that's probably why they released him. But here's my thing, Jason. Just a couple months ago, he fought Dave Jansen. And, you know, that fight was relegated to the undercard. Dave Jansen lost. He was cut. But now you cut the winner of that fight. What was the point of that fight then, Jason? Why have those two fight if you weren't going to do anything with the winner of that fight? It, it doesn't make any sense to me. So if you were that determined, if you were that, you know, and I think that was probably a big reason why Marcin Held wasn't on the televised broadcast and why he was relegated to the undercard is because he, you know, well, that fight ended up being on the main card. What's that? That fight ended up being on the main card. Oh, it did, but it wasn't scheduled. To or be no, no, it wasn't. No, no, it wasn't. It was on. It was on the prelims. That's, I remember. Because it was a boring three round fight. It wasn't right. it was an exciting it was yeah, it was on the dot com as I recall. So, you know, if, if the goal is to save money and not invest in someone that's not gonna be around for you long term, then why even make that fight? Release him with two fights. As soon as you are you are convinced that he's not gonna resign, then release him. Release him with, you know, two fights. So, you know, it doesn't make any sense to me to, to, to go ahead and 
make that fight and, you know, pay him that money, pay Dave Jansen that money, and then not do anything with either of those fighters. You release the loser, and then you release the winner. What's the point? That's, that's strange matchmaking to me. You should be making fights, and the winner should be advancing. It should be building towards something. You, you shouldn't be having fights just to have fights. You know, and I just, I, I just don't think Bellator – they can't be in the business just to let top talent go and top young talent. I mean, what, Marcin Hell's what, mid-20s? 24. He's 24. I think the best is uh, yet to come for him. But the issue is, if he doesn't want to sign, resign with you, then he doesn't want to resign with you, and there's really not much you can do except give him the toughest fight you can, try to get him beat, and try to take all the momentum that you've invest, you've built up through investment of money and promotion, and see if you can get someone to steal someone that is contracted to you long term to get uh, try to get them to steal that thunder from him before he goes out. And that's how I would have handled Eddie Alvarez. That's how I would have handled Will Brooks. And, yes, there's a risk that you're just going to build that guy up even further and devalue guys on your roster that you do have under contract for long term. But this is the fight game. You know, and you don't. And if you're Bellator, you don't have a lot of depth. You don't really have the options to just let these guys go with fights left on their contract and lose these fights. I mean, Will Brooks, his, his you know, if he would have fought in two title fights, those would have been big fights. One last fight with Eddie Alvarez, that would have been a big fight. You know, you could say, yeah, you know, booking Marcin held for one last fight, maybe not wouldn't have, wouldn't have been that big. But you know, you look at Alvarez, you look at Will Brooks. Those they, those guys would have drawn money for the company with their remaining fights. Uh, you know, and, and marching held. Look, if you were going to use that strategy and, and not continue in, to to invest in him once you knew it was apparent that he wasn't going to resign with you under any circumstance, then don't even make the Dave Jansen fight. I mean, that you released him after a win anyway. So just you could have, re- you know, if you if you're able to release him now, you could have released him a couple months ago. Yeah, it's just it's another head scratching move, you know, and, and it's like you know, and obviously people are talking about the potential for agency of Don Cerrone and. I, it's one of those things I said, I go, do you think, you know, Don Cerrone to me, I mean, okay, say Bellator makes him a huge offer. Don Cerrone's a guy that likes to fight five, six times a year. Does Bellator have enough fight cards to give Don Cerrone five or six fights a year? I mean, there's so many guys that aren't really being keep, kept that active in Bellator. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's you know, we got, you know, on, on that question, you know, we got something uh, from uh, uh, at Chris Conti 27. He says, if your organization, UFC Bellator, and you could jo- just go after one welterweight, who do you go for? Cowboy or Rory McDonald? Oh, you go with Cowboy. Why would you know, you Rory with- has a better chance to be a, a world champion that is your world champion for a prolonged period of time. But to me, Donald Cerrone is more marketable. He's more exciting. You can fight him at 55. You can fight him at 70. There's plenty of big fights. And I think that versatility is a key factor because when you're Bellator, you don't have a lot of depth. Having guys that can move back and forth so that you can maximize your ability to get big fights, not just in one division, but in two divisions, I think there's you, you really that, that, that makes the guy that much more valuable. I mean, look at Ben Henderson. Lost you know, at, at 170 in his debut, but now you have the option to put him right back in another big fight in a different mm-hmm. weight class. Good point. Yeah, that's, that's, I didn't, I didn't look at it that way. I mean, it's, uh, I ultimately, I, I, I truly believe Roy McDonald's just using Bellator to, to get what he wants out, out of the UFC. But, um, you know, getting back to the, the MAFA and the PFA, you know, you, you talked about earlier. I mean, they both have 
one common interest in the fact of you know they want to increase pay for UFC fi- or just MMA fighters in general if you, when you're talking about the MMAFA, but they want to do it very differently as we talked about. But you know when you think about looking at uh, the numbers of a first year UFC fighter in compared to what real world standards are, I mean you know these guys are are underpaid or fighters I should say are underpaid because I, I also think that a lot of fans don't understand the expense of being a fighter, you know, and, and I thought I was actually listening to, uh, Askren and, and Warren's podcast with Sean Wheelock, where Ben Askren was talking about when he was going to fight in Ontario, the amount of how much it was going to cost to do medicals. And he, and he said that he basically complained so much that Bjorn Rebney just wrote the check to pay for the medicals. Yeah, I mean, that medicals are very expensive, and that's the thing that you know a lot of fans don't realize. Not all promotions pay for those medicals, and it's the position of a lot of promotions. You're an independent contractor. You need to be licensed in a state, and once you're licensed, you're licensed for a year, and you can use that license whether you're fighting for us or anyone else. I've always felt that promotions should pay the medical expenses. I've never understood that logic. I don't see how promotions get away with it. UFC pays for medicals. You know, Bellator should pay for medicals. I don't know. They might be paying for medicals now. I know that when I was there, they were not in the vast majority of cases, and that's something I never understood, especially when you go to a place like Canada, and a lot of the tests that Ontario required were just ridiculous. They they served absolutely no purpose. A lot of them were obsolete, and you, certain fighters had a hard time even trying to get find a, find a facility in the U.S. that would even do the tests for them. Um. You know, and it was crazy and it was extravagant, you know, and, you know, when they signed with us, they signed to fight in America. They didn't sign to fight in Canada. So, you know, I always felt like we, we should help out the fighters, especially when we went to Canada. Yeah. You know, also on that same podcast, Joe Warren was talking about, you know, some of the medical expenses. But, you know, it, it's it's one of those things of and when you start to kind of talk to various people in the industry, you, you really find out that the medical side of the sport is much more important to the media and fans than it is to the fighters. Oh, yeah. That's why you have to look out for the fighters because a lot of them won't look out for themselves. A lot of fighters are willing to go the cheap route and cook their medicals just so they don't have to pay an exorbitant amount of money to get them done and not realizing that the reality is the importance of those medicals are to make sure there's not an underlying condition that could be exploited during a fight that could turn out to be fatal. Yeah. That's the big fear. That's the big fear. And, you know, if you're a fighter, you, you, you want to have that done, you know, and you also have to look out for your opponent, too. You, you have to get real blood work done so that you know what you have, because if you do have something, the last thing that you want to do is pass that on and transmit that to another fighter. Because, you know, we've seen quite a few fights where both fighters have sustained open wounds, and that is a way to transmit communicable diseases. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, and, you know, Joe Warren talked about the, the issues he had with the Mohegan tribe and Mike Mazzulli a couple of years ago, which I remember that uh, literally getting that phone call on that Friday morning like, hey, by the way, we may have a new uh, main event because Joe may not be fighting. Um, you know, but there does need, you know, I'm always someone that says I'd rather have more medicals than, you know, half medicals because, you know, what happens if one of those, you know, does come up with something, you, you want to ultimately go out there and protect the fires. And that was one of the things I liked that Jeff uh, Boris brought up in that press conference last week was talking about, you know, getting, uh, you know, medical things done for fighters. I mean, look, it's, 
I remember and saying this is years ago. This may have been like, man, 2009, maybe even 2010, where I was doing an interview with Joe Stevenson, and he was talking about He's like, yeah, my my insurance is actually through my wife's employer. And he goes, I've just had it for years. He goes, if I went out there right now and tried to get an insurance policy just on my own, he goes, I'm probably not going to find anybody that wants to insure me. Yeah, because you have to disclose what you do for a living, and a lot of these insurance companies, I, would, I shouldn't say a lot, they all use actuaries. They have underwriters that use these equations, and when they factor in the threat of injury based on what you do for a living, you, you, the only way they're going to cover you is if you pay a ridiculous amount of money. A lot of fighters don't disclose what they do for a living when they secure their own insurance, because if they did, the quote for their premium would be cost prohibitive. The problem is, though, when they go to claim, uh, you know, medical insurance, they have to sometimes lie about how they sustained their their injury, because if they yeah. say they sustained it in a cage fight, chances are the insurance company is going to come back and, and deny the claim. Because let's face it, insurance companies have denied claims for a lot less. Mm-hmm. Oh no, it, it's 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 an issue. I mean, I would tell you this, Sam. I would love to see the MMAFA and the PFA up on the same podium, and let's have a debate. You know, we got the you know it's, it's presidential season, man. Let's have a debate between Jeff Boris and Rob Macy. I'd be, I would be all in. I'd pay to watch that. Let's do the debate on this show, Jason. I, and because I told you this, I said if Rob was going to come on the show, I was going to say, you know what, if we're having Rob on the show, let's try to get Jeff Boris on the show. Let's, you know, you can hear Rob's points, but then you know, let's bring on Jeff's points. You know, one of the things that. And this goes to my unsolicited advice. And my unsolicited advice goes out to Rob Macy and the entire MMAFA. You need to hire a public relations specialist because you're not doing a great job right now. You know, the, the you know, you look at the the PFA, they were just ready to just do kind of do their own thing. But, you know, the MMAFA started attacking them and the gloves are off. And now Jeff Boris is going is going to attack everything they do. And you and you can't blame them because they they started attacking Jeff Boris and the PFA the moment it was announced. The one question though I would have for Jeff Boris if we had him on. Well, I would have a lot of questions, but the big question I would have is how are you going to cuz I believe that we I believe that the PFA is going to be successful. I, I think that just the, the mood and the tenor that exists amongst fighters right now, with a guy like Jeff Boris and Lucas Middlebrook, with the, the clout that they have, I, I just think it's the right time for us to see a union. But just because, even if, the, if, if they do get the initial 30, and then you know they eventually get the 50 to, to go to the National Labor, uh, Labor Relations Board to actually become a certified union, once they have a union, that, that, that doesn't, that's not the end of the ball game. Because what happens next is if they can't get what they want from the UFC through collective bargaining, they've got to go on strike. And my question to Jeff Boris is, once you go on strike, how are you going to prevent the UFC from busting that strike? Because it would be yeah. so easy to bust that strike. I mean, let's say they want to do a big fight in Madison Square Garden. They want to make, you know, Conor McGregor and, and Nate Diaz. And, and the rumor is that Nate Diaz is a part of this, uh, the PFA, that he's part of this potential union. And no but one should be what, surprised by that. No one should be surprised about that because Lucas Meadowbrook represented his brother. But are you going to keep Nate Diaz on the shelf and prevent him from crossing the picket line if 
Dana White just decides that, you know what, Nate, you made $7 million for this last fight against Connor. We want to do the third fight in Madison Square Garden. Normally I'd pay you $9 million, but, you know, you're, you're, I, I want to bust this strike, you know, in the worst possible way. We're going to give you $14 million. We're going to give you $14 million for this fight, even though we're going to pay you a little bit less. We're going to pay you $5 million less originally, but you've got you to gotta cross the picket line. Do you think Nate, Nate Diaz, if they make a, a balloon offer to him, that he's not going to cross that picket line. You think if Conor McGregor, if if he would even consider joining the rest of the UFC fighters in a strike, once they made him a, a larger than usual offer, do you think he would not cross? I mean, it's I'll tell you that, any big any big fight that the UFC would want, all he would have to do is offer balloon payments. They'd get guys crossing. They could fill their undercards with the millions of fighters that Joe Silva and Sean Shelby hear from every day through their email boxes and text messages and phone calls. I mean, they would, you know, it would be basically a scab undercard, but it would be really easy to put on big main events. And as we've seen in the last couple of years, Jason, MMA has been, you know, coming more and more like boxing in that a lot of these big pay-per-view shows that we buy, they're really one-fight shows. This is not the UFC that I remember you know, from 2005, 2006, 2007, 2008, where you looked forward to every, all five fights on, on the pay-per-view card. Oh, yeah, no, I mean, but the one thing you say about 202 is, is that fight card absolutely delivered, from the first fight on the pay-per-view all the way to the main event. I mean, you, if you sat there and you paid 60 bucks for that pay-per-view or you went out to your, your local sports bar to watch that, you, you walked away from that going, you know what, that was entertaining. And, and, you know, the UFC puts on a lot of fight cards, Sam, that was an event. That wasn't yes. a fight card. Yep. No, I, I agree, with you, agree with you. But the question I have, Jason, is, like, you know, how's Jeff Boris going to stop fighters from, the, from, from the, how's he going to stop the UFC from getting fighters to cross the picket line? I think that's a fatal flaw potentially in their vision. But one thing that I was thinking about, because I was reading an article today, there's some talk about the UFC, about the NFL possibly either having a work stoppage or a, a strike or a lockout in five years from now. And one of the things that was discussed, you know, because some of the athletes in the NFL are being told, save your money up now. Save your money. Um, but one of the things that was discussed was that, you know, if there is a, a work stoppage or a lockout, that we would see a players league, that the players would organize and they would get a TV deal and they would play games on their own. And that was discussed several years back when the NBA had their, their long strike. That there was going to be a barnstorming tour, and you would see maybe five, six, seven teams of uh, you know of all stars in the NBA, and they were going to go on and, and, and play basketball. I think that was during the lost NBA season. That they would go on, and, and you would see basketball of some kind. It wouldn't be the NBA, but you would see NBA players, and it would be the players organizing to do that. To me, that's the only way, the only leverage that the PFA would have when. Dana White and the UFC tried to break their, their picket line. It would try to bust the strike in that once, if there is a strike, the PFA needs to create a fighter's league so that these guys can get paid. Because the reality is there isn't going to be a long enough buildup for a strike fund to be created. And wh- whatever strike fund that they will have, it will not be enough for fighters to live on. So they're going to be open. You know, they, they might be all about that strike for three months, but once... Once that three months is up and, and the bills are coming in hot and heavy, suddenly they're going to want to talk to Daddy Dana again, and, and they're not going to be interested in that strike. So the one thing that Jeff Boris really has to be prepared to do 
in the event of a strike is to create a fighter's league so that he can keep these guys get uh, paid um, so that they're not going to cross that, 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 that picket line. Because it, this, I, I think MMA fighters would be one of the easiest picket lines, easiest strikes to bust. Um, but that, that, that kind of had me thinking, though, Jason. What if someone wanted to basically reverse – Reverse, you know, create a, a, a competitor to the UFC by, by by going the route Jeff Boris is going by going on strike or having a work stoppage, and then why, if they were a certified union, I believe those athletes could compete in their own league. What if you? What if that's how you wanted to get? The, what if some? What if a an individual used a union, the guise of a union, to get UFC fighters to fight with the, for them while they were under contract to the UFC? It would be interesting. Um, you know, one of the things I said to you, Sam, over the past couple of days, and, and you've obviously been around this industry for a very long time, I have never, I have seen the PFA get more media attention in two weeks than the MFAs have ever gotten. Why do you think that is? Oh, come on. It's just it's a different pedigree. It's a completely different pedigree with regards to the caliber of individuals involved in the PFA in comparison to the MMAFA. The MMAFA, for all intents and purposes, is just one man. It's Rob Macy. And, and Rob is a you know, law graduate, licensed attorney. But from what I understand, he's a real estate attorney. You know, he, he's not a guy that has built up a resume of making a difference in the lives of professional athletes and making them money. Jeff Boris has done that for some of the biggest and most famous athletes in the world, and he's been involved in multi-million dollar deals time and time again. I mean, he makes million dollar deals for athletes over lunch. I mean, it yeah. just, you know, and, and you look at the endorsements that he's accumulated. You know, the uh, you know Donald Fears coming out, Demarie Smith has come out. You know, he's gotten heavy hitters that came out in that press release and already has endorsed them. You go to the MMA FA website, and the only endorsement they have is from a labor union, is, is from a labor trade union. You know, and 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 uh, you know, it's a trade union. A very, doesn't seem like a very big trade union, um, yet. You know, so it, it, you look at a guy like Lucas Middlebrook who made a huge difference in the career of Nick Diaz. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think you you look at, at the 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 pros and what what people like about the MAFA is they have been around, you know, they they have you know lobbied a a, a congressman to or a member of the House of Representatives to put this bill in that I personally just based on the people I talk to sounds like it has no chance, and uh, if you think that uh, the Fertitas had uh, you know their hands in the back pocket of a of of someone in Washington D.C. Uh, yeah, you're, you're uh, you know the new owners have you know more more hands in more politicians' pockets in terms of, of making sure something doesn't go through that they don't want to grow. And, and Sam, let's be honest, but there's a lot of people in MMA that don't want to see the Ali Act go in, in as well. Um, yes. it, it may draw some people out of the industry. You know, you know the cons of the MMAFA, and, and I think that you know the people that have issues with them, and, and I think it's it's a legitimate question. Is this about helping out fighters, or is this about trying to take down the UFC? I believe that their philosophy is the only way we can help out fighters is by taking down the UFC. You know, but it's as I said. And I don't want to speak for Rob Macy, but, you know, I, I, just based on everything and you know that I've heard and all the people I've talked to and all the research I've done, I, I think that's their game plan. Take, you know, we, we, we can't have a true competitor 
an equal to the UFC uh, unless we take down the UFC. But the problem is, like, and, and look, we both know their main initiative is the Ali Act. What's plan B? And, and that's what I wonder with them is there is plan B, but you know, it's existed in a vacuum for seven years and really hasn't done much until recently, you know, it's, it can exist forever. And, and that's why I say, I mean, I think it, Jeff's Boar's comment is, is spot on. They've had seven years. Let us have our opportunity, you know, and I understand that the people involved with the MAFA, they want to be the the organization that that helps fighters out. But you know what? It, you know, just because you come up with the concept doesn't mean you're the best for the concept. And you know, fighters like I mean, just and you mentioned Leslie Smith. Look what she is doing. She is going out there and she is getting both sides of the story. What do they want to do? And she's going to make what's uh, the best decision for her. You know, well, and, to, and I hope to more me, fighters Leslie do Smith, that. Leslie Smith could be the Kurt Flood of MMA. She really could because she's the only one that's going out there publicly as an active fighter on the UFC roster that's really taking the, the, the risk and going out there and, and putting her name front and center. And I applaud her for that. I, I just have so much respect for her, and I wish more fighters would take that chance. But there's a fear factor, and I think that's why – a guy like Jeff Boris and the PFA is getting so much more attention than the MMA FA because if you join a fighters association or a union while you're in the UFC, you are going to war with the UFC. And if you're going to go to the war, if you're going to go to war with the UFC and against Dana White and Ari Emanuel, you know who do you want in the trenches with you? Do you want Jeff Boris or do you want Rob Macy? And I'm not saying Rob Macy wouldn't fight to the death for the fighters that he advocates for, but there's only so much, I think, at the end of the day that he's capable of accomplishing for a fighter, whereas Jeff Boris, with his resources, that's the guy that I, if I'm going to go to war with the UFC, I'm going to war with him. I think he's got more of an army than Rob Macy does. And I guess in, in more unsolicited advice, if you're a fighter on the regional scale and if a media member asks you about these two organizations, I would just do a no comment. I, I know it's not going to be what a reporter wants to hear, but... You don't yep. want to sit there and come out and say, oh, I'm all for the PFA, and then the UFC sees that, and like, oh, we're not touching uh, that guy. Yeah, if you're a regional fighter, do not dare address any question about a union or fighter association because you could be placed on a blacklist. But more importantly than that, two years from now, if there is a strike, you may get a call. You might be a scab. It might be a scab call, but that might be your way into the UFC. If there is a strike and they, they find themselves a big main event and they just want to fill up the undercard with bodies, you could be one of those bodies that get the call. I, you know, and, and when they had that press conference last week, I, I was thinking about, I was like, man, could Sam, could we get to a point where we have a big UFC pay-per-view and all of a sudden the PFA's got enough fighters where they're union and all those fighters just walk out of the pay-per-view? It's possible. It, it, it's it's going to take something like, I mean, you're, you're going to see a war. You know, it, it, that, that was made evident when Jeff Boris – Revealed that you know the, the the result of his phone call to Ari Emanuel, mm-hmm. and that you yeah. know and ba- you know and basically Ari Emanuel going off on him, not taking a diplomatic approach at all. I mean, they don't want a union, they don't want an association, they don't want a can't, union. Can't they, blame them. I can't blame them either. They just spent four billion dollars in the UFC. The last thing that they want to do is start spending more money on on fighters, uh, you know, through the nose. Because the the, the problem is, you know. 
these increases that unions ask for, it's not just a little bit. You know, it's not like the new minimum could go up to 14 and 14 for, for first-time UFC fighters. They're, you know, the, the union could come in and say, we want 25 and 25 for a fighter's debut. And now the whole salary structure is completely screwed up. And, and they probably want a, gu- a guaranteed of X amount of fights. Right. Yep. You know, and, you know. Well, you, look, are, you are guaranteed three fights a year if you're in the UFC. You know, I mean, this is as long as you're healthy. Um, yeah, but, I mean, it's, it's the UFC can't, you know, control that. They can only offer you the fights. you got to be ready to fight. Yeah, but, you know, the, the days of automatically getting three fights a year in the UFC are kind of gone. I mean, we, we've seen guys only get two fights and, and they get released. Well, you got to win. It's yeah, no. Based, it's a performance-based industry, as, oh, totally. as all sports are. Or, if you get called up to the major leagues and you're bat 150, you know, you're, you're not going to, you know, play a full season or have a fighting style the UFC loves. If you're if you're a uh, lay in prayer, you lose two fights, Jared Rochelle, um they're going to release you. Jared well, Rochelle lost one well, fight. They can't cut you after a win. No, no, but I mean it's when you have that, you know, when you have a, a a style that fans are not going to gravitate to, when, the moment they get a chance to release you, they're going to release you. I mean just just look at Jared Rochelle, perfect example. And you know Jared Rochelle, in my understanding, hasn't signed with anybody. Um, he just he doesn't have a fighting style that's going to attract anybody to come watch him on television, Sam. I mean, I know people want to see Bellator sign him, but if I'm Scott Coker, is that the type of fighter I want on my television product? Well, if you got Tony Johnson on your roster, why not Jared Rochelle? Oh, man, that Tony Johnson check Congo fight that 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 <laughs> has the recipe for being a not so exciting fight. That's an odd. That's another odd fight booking. There, there's yep. some fight bookings I see that I'm just like, what? I mean, another one in the UFC, one they made, made uh, I don't know, about a week or two ago, Tiago Santos and Eric Spicy. When I saw it, I was like, huh? Yeah. I was like, man, that, that's just an odd fight book. I mean, you, you see it all. I mean, you see it in every every major MMA organization where you just you see a fight book and you go, why, why are they booking that fight? But, uh, yeah, it's. It's like I said earlier, Sam, as a fighter and a manager, and hopefully managers are helping fighters out in terms of this. And that was another point Jeff Boris made that he says, I'm not I'm not here to try to eliminate managers, you know, um, and basically all that they really want the managers to have to worry about is negotiating their fight purse. And, you know, he did mention uh, the Reebok deal is, is that's an issue. And then, of course, that's when the whole independent contractor employee question comes up. Um, well, Jason, can I cut you off real quick? That's that's an important point because if there's a union, the UFC can't do that deal that they did with Reebok. They, they, Correct. They, they, they can't. If there's a, an association, the MMAFA, they can, you know, a fighter can contact them that's a part of the trade association and, you know, use them as an advocate, as an intermediary to try to, you know, have a grievance, you know, addressed by the UFC. But the UFC, once they, 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 Rob Macy can make that phone call, and be, because it's not a union, it's just a trade association, no one in the UFC has to take that phone call. Mm-hmm. Whereas if it's under if that grievance is filed through a union, that call is getting answered. Sam, let me ask you this. You're, let's hypothetically say Sam Kaplan, UFC fighter. Let's just say you've been in the UFC. Let's say you got five or six fights. Let's say you've made it up to, let's just say 30 and 30, just throwing a number out there. Do you publicly support either one of these organizations? Absolutely not. What if you're a 10 and 10 guy? Yes. 
And that's and, and I think that's where it becomes, you know, and they talked about that press conference that they need 30% of the fighters under contract to, to start kind of the whole process. Um, and also, i got to give kudos to Matt Mitrione. He was there. He was asking some good questions as well. I mean, I would – I would love to sit there and just hear a room full of fighters ask those questions because I would be more fascinated, Sam, not necessarily what, what the answers are, but what the questions were coming from the fighters. One other thing I want to talk about, you know, John Nash made a really good point, really good point. If you're the UFC, I'm not sure if he was being facetious or, or sarcastic. You can't, you can't tell with Nash sometimes, but, <laughs> but, uh, he, I think even on the surface, if, if, he was, if he was being sarcastic, even on the surface, it's still a good point. If you're the UFC, why not start talking to the PFA? And why not support the PFA? Because if there is a union, once a union becomes certified, once the UFC fighters are now uh, – once they're unionized, the UFC is no longer subject to antitrust liabilities. They're pretty I much – I saw that tweet, yeah. They're, they're, they're immune to it. So – a lot of the problems that they're they're now having with this lawsuit, a, a union would it wouldn't d- cause the lawsuit to be dismissed. It wouldn't uh, it wouldn't free them from liability from past damages, but it would stop the bleeding and it would stop any future lawsuit. The, the damages would be limited. It would not go on in the future, and you could not sue the UFC under an antitrust uh, case ever again, unless the union de- uh, decertified. Yeah, I saw that tweet, and I thought it was a, a very interesting point being being brought up there. And, you know, it's, you know, as I talked about earlier, if I'm the MAFA, I, I would get either A, a public relations specialist to come in and kind of help guide them in, in terms of how to, and I understand that I, I think that there is frustration from that camp that they haven't gotten the media attention that the PFA has gotten. And, and I completely understand where they're coming from uh, in terms of that. But, and also they probably need to hire someone in, in the social media aspect as well. I mean, you know, you shouldn't, ha- you shouldn't be releasing a public release via social media. You should have the contact list to sit there and, and email that out to all the members of the media to, to get your point out there. I mean, and this goes to anybody, whether you're in, uh, in the management side of this business or you're in the promotion side of this business, you should be trying to obtain every email address of every MMA writer out there because that's the easiest way to get your content out there on websites. Yes. It's just you can't count on that they're going to see a tweet or they're going to see a Facebook post. But if you if you email them a press release, you know they're going to see it. Because sometimes I'm amazed at some of the press releases I get. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I, I just, you know, I, I get press releases in Portuguese. I have no idea what they say. <laughs> I literally have to put them in Google Translate to see what they say. Yep. You know, which I would also say is, if you're sending a press release out to American and Mayor Porters, you probably want to make sure it's in English. Just, yeah, just throwing that out there, Sam. Yeah, I, I know you've been known to write some press releases, so uh, I'm sure that you're not writing them in Portuguese and sending them to American journalists. No, I'm not. I am not. No, but it's, you know, we'll see. It's, it's going to be a developing story, Sam. It's going to be over time to see how this comes together. And, you know, I'm interested to see if this vision that Jeff Boris and Lucas Middlebrook have, if it can get any steps, and can the MMAFA take another, you know, take another step into terms of helping these fighters going down the road. But, you know, you talk about uh, the expenses that, that a fighter has and, and it brings up, 
uh, you know, a, an article that you you sent me about Joanne Calderwood complaining about luggage fees. Well, this is now the second time Joanne Calderwood has complained about money and put the UFC in a bad position. And they kind of came around and they gave her a new contract and they paid her a bonus when she made the, the, the first complaint a couple months back. But I can tell you promoters hate when fighters publicly complain and make the fight promotion look bad in money situations. And they kind of caved in the first time, but I can tell you, you know, from experience that I don't think Dana White is too happy with Joanne Calderwood right now. And I think that, you know, maybe she's buying into the whole squeaky wheel gets the uh, grease mentality because it worked the, the last time. But at a certain point, you got to uh, back off because if she, she continues to come out and try to make the UFC look bad like this, the, 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 she, she, it's not going to be good for her long-term future in the UFC. Yeah, you and, know, Sam, and sorry for interrupting you, but the one thing I've mentioned on this podcast, I it's tough for me to, when we talk about fighter pay, to go after a promotion because you don't know the entire story. You don't know what the fighter's financial situation is. Or um, the financial decisions that they're making. And a lot yeah. of, I'm sorry, because I love fighters. I have a lot of friends that are fighters, but a lot of fighters, most of them are bad with money and they make bad financial decisions, especially when it comes to the amount of money they invest in their career. Like Joanne Carterwood was talking about having to have to get a job because she couldn't afford to train. Well, she lives, you know, she, she lives in Europe, but she was training in Canada. And I understand she had to change camps because there was a personal issue there. But there's other good camps in Europe that are a little bit closer to her rather than her having to have to go to a whole other continent. I, yeah. You know, that, but that was her decision. That's fine. That's what she felt was best for her. But that's not the UFC's problem. I mean, let's be honest, Sam. How many conversations that do you have? And I know I have when you talk to people and say, well, you know, you know this fighter is going to be calling me up for a fight in three or four weeks because he doesn't have any money. Right. You know, right. and that's not the promotion's fault. You know, you can pay a, a, a fighter really good money, but, you know, if they have a, a spending problem or, you know, it's not the promotion's fault if maybe they have a, a business that's that's not going according to plan. I mean, that's why every time I, I see, you know, and, you know, Colby Covington had had some comments to say. And right when he when I saw the, the quotes that he had, I was like, OK, there are going to be people that this is going to be part of their ammunition to the to attack the UFC on fire pay, but it's unless you know the fighter's complete financial situation, you shouldn't be commenting on it because you only know a portion of the story. When fighters who you know make the UFC minimum, they complain about losing money on their fights. It boggles my mind because if you win the fight and then you get the Reebok sponsorship, that's what twenty four thousand. You make ten to win, ten to show. And what, what's the, what, what's the minimum uh, that you 2, make? Twenty five hundred is the, the the lowest number. Right, so that, that's twenty two five. How do you lose money on that? Not you know, it's it's not the UFC's problem if you feel like you need to have four cornermen fly with you. It's yeah. not it's not there. I mean, you know, that's you have to question that. Why do you or, need that? I mean, you really only you should only need one corner person. There was a guy that when I was at Dada's fight camps, you know, a guy by the name of Bob Peach, and this guy. Could grab, you know, he could, you know, he, he, you only needed him. That's all you needed because he worked at being a corner man. He worked at being a trainer. He worked at improving his skills. He knew how to cut weight. He knew how to help a fighter cut weight. He could hold pads. He could roll with fighters and get them warmed up. You know, and he, he was a great strategist during the fight. 
you didn't need two other people to, 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 to come with you, you know, and there were certain cornermen that I saw at Bellator. They were like that. They, they had, they were well-rounded corner people. They, they were, you only needed to bring them yet. Some of these fighters would show up with two, three, four people all specialized in doing different things. And, you know, to me, it's like, why, you know, why are you spending your money on all that? Just find a guy that actually takes being a corner person seriously and can do all this, all the requirements necessary. And also make sure you don't have anybody in your camp that is asking for way too much of a percentage of your of your fight salary too. Right, and that you know, happens. And they're, 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 but I've seen guys; they bring a strategist, they bring someone to hold pads, they bring a teammate that was essential in their camp for moral support, and then they bring a weight cutting guru. You know, and then they want their whole family to come. And I can understand wanting your family to come out, but are you in this business to make money or is this a hobby for you? Because if you're in it to make money, then maybe you should just send your family, you know, 60, 70 bucks so they can watch you on pay-per-view and wait until you're closer to home for them to make that trip. You don't need to turn your fights into a family vacation. This is a business trip, not a family vacation. Mm-hmm. It's, but if you want to make it a family vacation, that's your right. That's your decision to do so. But the UFC shouldn't be responsible for that. If you're, fi- if you're winning your first fight in the UFC and you're walking out with twenty two fifty. yes, you have to pay taxes. But guess what? We all have to pay taxes. That's a part of life. So, you know, you still have enough left over that you should be walking away with a decent amount of money. And if you're not, you really need to work on your spending habits. Yeah, that's a I mean, lot of money. Twenty two five to an average working man or woman. That's a lot of money. And if, if, if that's not a lot of money to you anymore because your expenses are so much, you're doing things wrong. Yeah, you know, it's... Uh, Sorry to cut you off, but look at American Top Team. I, I talk to fighters, they're talking about, oh, 30% of my check went to trainers and management. Well, Jason, you know what American Top Team takes now. It's, it's a very low built-in price, and that's a world-class training camp. Yeah. So if you're, if you're in a situation where you're losing 30% of your cut to, to training and management fees... Just move down to Coconut Creek, Florida, and train an American top team. I don't know what the percentage is now, but at one point I thought it was it was an all-inclusive 5% that included training and management. And maybe they've raised it a little bit, but it, it's it's still going to be a lot lower than the 30% you're paying now. Shop if around. That's the, what's, yeah, check around. I mean, just shop around and see what's what's best for you. You know, um, you know look, I mean, there, there's plenty of camps out there that – uh, you know, there, there's people there that, you know, everything you need are there, you know. Um, I mean, look at the Black Zillion camp, perfect example. You know, you, you've got some great coaches there. Glenn Robinson, of course, he, he is a manager. You know, if, if you think Glenn's the right guy for you to to, to represent your services, I mean, there, and there's plenty of teams out there like that that you can – it's one-shop destination, but you have to, you know, you have to figure out what is best for yourself, you know, and – and look, I understand, but for some fighters, it doesn't make sense to to move their training. I mean, look at Eddie Alvarez. You know, obviously, you know he went down to South Florida. Things didn't work out for him. That wasn't best for him and his family. So, so he's back up uh, in, in Philadelphia. You know, it's you you have to make those decisions. Um, you know, it's kind of like what I was talking about earlier with the the MAFA and PFA. You gotta you gotta listen to what all sides have to say and make a decision that's best for you and your family. But Eddie was smart. When he changed camps, he moved down to Florida. He moved his family down to Florida. He wasn't going back and forth. And when you live in one city but train in another and you go back and forth like that, the, 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 you know, it, yes, you 
gain frequent flyer miles. But in order to get those frequent flyer miles, you've got to drop a lot of cash. And flying these days and traveling is not cheap. And then once you know, you're, you're maintaining a residence in one city – Yet you've now got to find a place to live in the next city. And, yeah, you might find a guy you know, or gal whose cra- uh, couch you can crash on, but still got to pay for your food. You got to pay for this and that. All the while, while you're still paying your rent and mortgage for a house or apartment that you're not living in. So if, if like Joanne Calderwood, don't go back and forth. If, if that's, you know, if, if TriStar is where you want to be, get an immigration attorney and move to Canada, become a citizen, and live there. Yeah, no, that's excellent advice. By, by the way, we talked about last week the the documentary on CM Punk. The, the first part came out last Monday. Of course, we're really this on Monday. The really second good. episode comes out. Yeah, Sam, I totally agree. I, I watched that. I was like, wow, this is good. A guy I mean, that they have footage from day. I, I didn't realize they've been doing this since day one. I, I didn't realize that either. I, I, I loved how they called uh, <laughs> the smokers training sessions or sparring. Yeah, I was like, no, that's just a fight in the gym. Let's just call no, what that. Is. Jason, that is that is that's a sparring session because in a smoker, once you get tapped, the fight's over. It, it's like being in a fight. There's no hey, we're gonna go to the third round now. But speaking on CM Punk, because I had an interesting conversation this weekend. If I'm the UFC, and, and I know a lot of people are gonna not agree with me with this, and I would make that the co-main event of the fight card. If I was the UFC, I never would have put him with Mickey Gall. This could be a big thing. That documentary series is really good and you know watching it made me want to root for the guy because it's such a momentous challenge and the odds are so stacked against him but he knows it he knows that but he wanted to do it anyway and i'm rooting for the guy and he does have such a huge fan base you know putting him in with mickey gall that was a bad decision they should have put him in there with a, 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 a layup Look, I you know, look, he he's gonna step in there. I give him all the credit in the world because there's not a lot of people that would do that. But Sam, watching that footage, ugh. I already thought that fight wasn't gonna last long, and, and I'm interested to kind of see how the, how this develops. But Sam, man, I don't know if that fight's gonna last two minutes. It's not. No, it, it won't. You know, and. It's not CM Punk's fault because he doesn't have a true combat sports background. He's a performer. He's a performance artist who decided to take up MMA. He's not Brock Lesnar. He didn't wrestle in high school, didn't wrestle in college, you know, is not a guy that was training in a striking-based martial art on the side all these years and as a black belt. It's just a guy who was a really good professional wrestler, a great performer, who decided at the age of, you know, 35, 36 that – He's going to do MMA full time, and there's so much to learn that you know it's it, it, it would be tough for him to even re, win a high level regional fight, let alone a fight in the actual UFC octagon. And Mickey Gall, you can say he's not yet a, a UFC level fighter, but he's got the talent to to get there. And I just think the UFC would have been better off giving CM Punk a, a, a lesser matchup. And trying to build him up and get more than one fight out of him because if he loses to Mickey Gall in two minutes, uh, that that you know is he even going to want to come back? Sam, I might need to go to Vegas because I just looked on Best Fight Odds. Mickey Gall is only only minus two eighty. Wow! I mean, now now Sam, the under one and a half minus one ninety. Sam, I might have to take a trip out to Vegas. Yeah, I mean, and, and that, also that, if you that's have, a strange line. That's either people are just betting on the public's already betting money on CM Punk, and uh, that's just 
the way the line's going See, because the they know thing. CM Punk. It opened or, at or, minus or, 380. So people are betting on CM Punk. Wow, so that's not a situation where Vegas just believes that there might be you know, something there the UFC wants him to win. Uh, that's actually the, the public moving the line. That's Sam, I mean, hey, as I'm... of August 17th at 6.30, so we're talking last week, it was minus 350, and as of Monday you know, late afternoon, it is minus 280. Someone's putting money on CM Punk. I don't get it. Well, if you're Jason, if you go to Vegas, let me know because I'm gonna. I need you to put some. No, I would bet. I'm not a betting man, but I would bet big on Mickey Gall at that. Yeah, I would too. Yeah, I mean that's. I thought you were gonna tell me it's a thousand. You'd have to put up a thousand dollars to win a hundred dollars. I thought it would be something like ten to ten to one. That wow, uh, you know, and just it's it's a shame because it doesn't matter how much time CM Punk puts in. There's not enough time in a day. There's not enough time in a year for him to get to improve to the point where he's going to be ready for this fight. What's more likely? CM Punk fights a second time in the UFC or he goes back to WWE? Well, I don't think either is going to happen, but you asked me what's more likely. I would say more likely him going back to WWE. Yeah. I mean, of course, that's going to be UFC 203. Uh, a that let's just be honest about it, outside CM Punk has no buzz to it. I mean, no buzz. I mean, you got the heavyweight title on the line, but... Saying there's no buzz, you know that'll be the second week of college football, and the UFC might have a hard time with that. When he, I mean, obviously UFC 202 yeah. did, did great I, for them. I think this documentary series, the way it's being done, I think that's going to sell a lot of pay per views. I, I, you know, I'm really looking forward to seeing him fight. But, you know, I, I was wasn't I wasn't looking forward to it, and then I saw that you know half hour special, and I did a 180. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, UFC 202 was this past weekend. First off, let me go back to last Wednesday, Sam. For someone who's been in this industry for a long time, what's your initial thoughts when you see the video of Conor McGregor and Nate Diaz getting into a water bottle and Monster Energy uh, fight? I think Dana White said it best when people said it was staged. If you're going to stage something, that's pretty. That's a pretty stupid thing to do. Let me Throwing ask water bottles. How many people would have gladly stepped in front and taken a, a monster energy to the face? <laughs> no, it's just how like, like if you got if you got hit by a monster energy can thrown by Conor McGregor, how big of a lawsuit are you throwing? I don't know. I don't know. Someone uh, would, I, you know, someone would ask for seven figures. You know they would. Yeah. I mean, it's just. I mean, it, it's one of those things of and, and look. And first off, the DS camp started. They're the ones who started throwing they things. They did. They you did. Know? And that's kind of, to me, that became the part of that story that no one really highlighted on. Everything was all about Connor throwing uh, the bunch of energy well, cans. Because Nick does, does a video with walking out with a kid that got hit by a water bottle. But it was the Diaz camp that threw the first one. Yeah. Threw the first thing. Yeah, that, that's, it's on the Diaz camp. The Diaz camp, let's, we both know it. While it was a bad look because the people who, who don't care for MMA, it's another bad impression they have of the sport, but we both know that sold some pay-per-views. It did. It did. And, you know, Dana White's still upset, though, that Connor showed up a half an hour late, and it basically... Can you blame him, though? I can't blame him. Well, that, that's just Connor. I mean, that, but that's Connor. He always makes an entrance, and it was deliberate. No matter how, you know, how much he says he thought it was a half hour, you know, that it wasn't scheduled I, I, for I what it was, that's just Connor. Connor always has to make an entrance and draw attention to like, himself. Like that's I, what he does. I had to laugh as Dave Schaller is trying to get him off the stage, and he's like, let me talk, let me talk. I would have just died if Dave Schaller would have said, well, if you showed up 30 minutes ago, you could have talked. Well, 
I mean, it's I don't just, think he realized that it was at the David, you know, the David. It was at the David Copperfield Theater, and and they needed to clear it out so they could get ready for David Copperfield's performance that night. But so. he was on embedded. They show him watching it on his phone as he's Look, driving. Everything that Conor McGregor does, he wants to make news. So Conor McGregor showing up. Well, next time, if, if he, for the next press conference, if he does show up on time, it's news. But Conor McGregor not showing up on time for this press conference is news. Had he shown up for it on time, it really wouldn't have been news. He got more people talking about it this way. I think everything that he does is deliberate, and it's not by accident. Even now, when he's calling out John Cena, he's specifically talking about John Cena after bashing the WWE. It wouldn't surprise me if there was some communication between his management group and WWE, and the fight that he's trying to sell now is a fight, eventual fight against John Cena. Yeah, it was. And when I say fight, I should say I should say wrestling yeah, yeah. match. We're not we're not going to see John Cena in the octagon, but we may <laughs> see John Cena versus Conor McGregor at WrestleMania. Um, clear three rounds to two, Conor McGregor. You agree with that, right? Yes, I do. I, you know, two knockdowns in the fight. You know, I think the round that's in question is round two. I think if you're an Nate Diaz fan, I mean, look, I'm a fan of both guys, so I feel like I can watch that. I watched that fight objectively, and I gave that second round to Conor McGregor. Yeah, but think, if you're an Nate Diaz fan, you're going to give it to Nate Diaz. But I if think, you like both of them, you know. I think without the knockdowns, I would have given the Diaz. But the two knockdowns, I've got to yeah. give it to Conor. That's a big, you know, knockdowns to me are a big deal. Yeah, I mean, and it's, you know, to me, I thought it was a clear three round two. I was, when, uh, when uh, the first score was read 47-47, I was like, huh? Yeah. I go, yeah. How? and I'm sitting there in my head going, okay, how can we have a 47-47? I was like, I'm like, did we have? And then when I saw it was a 10-8 third round for Nate Diaz, I was like, huh? <laughs> I go, what fight was he watching? I don't know. Maybe, maybe uh, he went to the ABC conference and heard the new definitions and uh, – Wait, didn't couldn't wait for it to be formally enacted. Just enacted it that new philosophy himself. You know, and then of course, you know Dana White. You know, immediately coming out, putting the kibosh on, on the trilogy matchup. Um, that's and, a joke, by the way. I, know, I understand Dana's position, but that's a joke. Conor McGregor and Nate Diaz. They're going to decide who they fight next. And, and I'm saying it right now: Conor Nate three Super Bowl weekend in Las Vegas. If not in December, I don't. I don't. I think December, I think that's going to be GSP if he wants to fight. Dana White I, still doesn't believe he's going to fight. But I don't, the thing you is, got to remember, they, the second pay-per-view in December is on a Friday night, so I can't see them putting Connor and Nate 3 on a Friday night. It's a Friday night pay-per-view? Yeah, it'll be December 30th because they don't want to do a pay-per-view on New Year's Eve. Oh, uh, okay, yep. No, you, so you know, you've got December 10th. A lot of 10th. people are on vacation that week. I think they could do it then. But you got December 10th is in Toronto. So, you're. I mean, let's be honest about it. You know. Sorry, Toronto and Canada fans. You're not getting Nate Diaz, Conor McGregor. It's, it, that fight's going to be in Las Vegas. I mean, we both know it. That fight's going to be in Las Vegas. MGM is going to do everything they can to make sure that fight happens in Las Vegas. And Dan is putting himself in a bad position by saying he wants to get away from that fight because the reality is Conor McGregor and Nate Diaz, they're gonna, if they want to fight each other next, they're going to fight each other next. You know, When you give fighters millions of dollars – is assuming they're not boneheads when it, when it comes to the spending, they have leverage now. And oh, yeah, they don't totally. have the leverage of going to another promotion, but they have the leverage of either fighting or not fighting. It's not like you're giving these guys, you know, 30 and 30 and, you know, you know they go through that money and three months later, suddenly they have to take whatever you offer them because they, they ran out of money. 
These guys have millions of dollars, and if they're banking this money, they can, you know, if Nate Diaz is taking care of his money, if Conor McGregor is taking care of his money, you know, theoretically, you know, it, depending on what kind of lifestyle they, they, they live, I mean, the amount of money they've been paid, if they lived a meager lifestyle, a, a frugal lifestyle, they, they're being paid enough that they could never have to work another day in, uh, another day in, the life, in their life again. Yeah, they didn't they, want to. You know, I, I use the term strike while the iron's hot, Sam, because you know what? There's no guarantees that these if you don't do the trilogy matchup next, that it never happens. Right, exactly. I mean, why wouldn't you do this matchup next if you're Dana White? Uh, you know, maybe it was stressful, yes, but wait till they get the financial returns in and, <laughs> and suddenly all you know, he might have a different perspective because look at how they handled the women's division at one thirty five. Yeah. They had those big money fights sitting on the table. They didn't strike while the iron's hot, and they've lost those fights for all mm-hmm. intents and purposes. And you could lose the trilogy fight. I mean, Nate Diaz could get popped for marijuana and get suspended for two years. He could, or he could just take all his money and, and, and go live on a boat, and, and you never hear from him again. <laughs> Same, uh, you he, know, Conor McGregor could fight Eddie Alvarez at forty-five and lose. He could fight uh, Jose Aldo at one forty-five, defend his title against Aldo, slip on a banana peel and I'm, lose. I'm telling you, Sam. I would be fairly shocked if we ever see Connor at 145 again. Yeah, I don't think it's going to happen. I, and, I, and I think I, he's you know, done. And you know what? If I am in the Connor McGregor management business and you're looking, you know, for, I mean, look, no matter who fights Connor, he's going to make a lot of money because he has a personality that, that draws people to the television set. But right. if, if I am Paradigm Sports Management, is a rematch with Jose Aldo that interesting? I mean, I was talking about this on my post-fight show, Sam. Jose Aldo, you know, six months ago, nine nine or 12 months ago, was the best fighter in the world. Now this is a guy that has to go on social media and beg Connor for a rematch? That fight does nothing for Connor. It doesn't do anywhere near the business as a lot of, I would say, five to six other possible matchups for Connor. That matchup actually kind of drags Connor's value down because it's it's nowhere near the peak earning value that he could draw on pay per view. It's you know, there's other fights out there that are, are that are more valuable to him. This stage plus he's jacked now. I mean, and, he put on look, real muscle, yeah. and muscle like that's not easy to lose. It's going to be even tougher now for him to fight at 45. I think it was John Nash or it might have been Paul Gift, two of the best guys on MMA Twitter. One, I, it was probably Nash said that there, there's a there's a belief, but but uh, you know, sorry to paraphrase here. I don't have the exact tweet in front of me. Basically, there's a potential belief that McGregor may have a clause in his contract where he gets a bonus for holding a world title. Yeah, I saw that tweet. And if that's the case, I mean, how big of a bonus is it? And, you know, because if I'm McGregor, I'm just going to take that 45 title. And he, the next time Dana White makes a threat, I'm going to say, here's your title. Yeah, I mean, to me, when I, when I think about potential rematches at 145 for Connor, honestly, and it, look, and I don't, it's not a, a box office draw based on his name, but based on what happened in the first fight, the fight that I would want to see, Connor Max Holloway. You know, that was a fight that Connor injured his knee in. He did get a three-round decision. If I was a UFC, and I think Connor's kind of making it clear he, he's going up to 155, I'd rather see just do Aldo and Holloway. And you know what? Make it happen. You do that fight in Hawaii. Where Max uh, Holloway's Hawaii, from. That's, Hawaii's a tough state from a uh, commission, you, the fees you, and taxes. That's a tough state yeah, to make money Yeah, if you can make it happen. Them, so. I mean, that that's the key. I mean, but I, I just, from a... An Aldo McGregor rematch, it, as a fight fan, Sam, I mean, 
would I be interested to see if you know what could happen if if Jose could land the leg kicks? Yeah, but it, it's not a matchup that I'm clamoring to see. As a fight fan, the only fights that I want to see next for McGregor and Diaz are against each other. I want to see the trilogy fight. You know, yeah. ESPN called the, the the fight this past weekend a classic. I I wouldn't call it a classic. Um, if you just watch the highlights, it looks like you know one of the greatest. Good, it was fights very. Ever. It was a good fight. Right, it was a good fight. Uh, if you just watch the highlights, it looks like one of the best fights ever. But when you watch it in its full context, it's a good fight. Uh, but it's not, you know, it's not a classic. I, you know, I think the third fight, you know, would have way more interest going into it than the second fight. And we saw how fast that momentum ramped up that last week of the fight in the buildup for fight number two. But I, I think fight number three would be even bigger. You remember, I remember sitting on this podcast last week, and you're like, Jason, I, I just don't feel like there's any yeah. buzz. And then I sent you a message it, at that, that press conference yeah. on Wednesday and go, hey, uh, I think that buzz is there. They kicked it up into high gear. So yeah. they, they caught on at the end. But I, I think that uh, the public's really consumed with this match, with this matchup yeah, between no. these two. And there needs to be a trilogy fight. And I think to put them in with anyone else is, is just stupid. The first fight made $96 million. You've got to think, even with the struggle to ticket sales, because the ticket sale money is secondary to the pay-per-view money, I've got to believe that this fight probably did over $100 million, the second one. You, you do this fight before the year's over, that's the potential to make over $300 million just based on one matchup that occurred three times. I mean, that's a lot of money to make off a trilogy. And if you could lit, uh, put that pay-per-view sometime in that, that end of the NFL season – playoff season whatnot you get all of that bump you know on fox for that yep. pay-per-view i mean that makes it even bigger I mean, right. and, and we've seen that with fox cards in december and january that that nfl bump helps them out so much in terms of viewership i, I think dan is just kind of burned out i think that press conference uh, I don't oh you're you happy about that you can see I, the frustration in, in yeah, his I mind think- and I think there's a lot of friction behind the scenes with the McGregor camp and the UFC. And it wouldn't surprise me if there's a little bit of friction with the Nate Diaz camp. They're paying these guys, Nate Diaz and Conor McGregor, more money than they've paid anyone ever. And these guys now have the financial freedom to, to fight whoever they want. They can Because if, the, if they don't like what the UFC is offering them, they can say, I'm not fighting. I'm just going to sit at home on my ass and, and, and live off the millions that you've already paid me. Sam, here's a crazy thing. It was August 25th. 2015 that is when it was announced nate diaz was fighting michael johnson so you think over the last 365 days the difference in nate diaz's career wow i mean if you want to count ronda nate diaz is a top three draw in the ufc it seems like it was just the other day he was complaining about you know not getting paid enough and holding out because i guess he was making what 40 and 40 45 and 45 and he walked and that, away with a two million dollar check from the Nevada Commission on Saturday night. That's the disclosed pay. I, you know, yeah, we heard he made pay, five, yeah. we heard he made five million total for the first fight. You've got to think that you know he he made at least seven, and you know he'll make at least seven for this one, if not more. That's probably another reason why Dana White isn't so eager to make the third fight because they're they're the contracts that McGregor and Diaz have, the, the payment schedules that are in there, they're they're, they're completely irrelevant. You know, I mean, if, if Conor McGregor is supposed to make $10 million for, for the, the next fight, as it reads on his contract, you know, he, he's, he's asking for, you know, more than that. You know, and, I mean, Conor, every- he, he kind of threw it out there that there is going to be some issues between him and the UFC. Right. I mean, that's, that's, that's probably the situation is right now, that their contracts really 
uh, are worthless now because every time you want Conor McGregor or Nate Diaz to get into a, a, to fight in the cage, you're not looking at what they're scheduled to make in the contract. You're basically negotiating with them on a fight by fight basis. Yeah, you know, you have to. It's it, it's it, the contract is worthless. You have to negotiate with them before every fight just to get them back into the cage, and that's probably why the UFC has been hesitant all these years to pay the kind of money that Nate and uh, Conor are, are getting because again, they have that financial freedom, they have that leverage. If they don't like what the UFC is offering, they now have enough money in their bank account to say, "Well, you know what? I can't negotiate with another promotion, but I don't have to fight if I don't want to." Yeah, it's. Uh, but I'll tell you, in terms of UFC 202, the a couple of things that stuck out to me is, good lord, that knockout by Anthony Johnson, and what a combination by Donald Cerrone to knock out Rick Story. Sam, that's one of the. I mean, that the Cerrone combination to win that fight. That is, that's one of the best combinations I've ever seen to win a fight. I agree. I mean, He's that was amazing, that, and that's why I think he'd be more valuable to a promotion like Bellator because that's the kind of action that they want. And Roy McDonald, some of his early fights in the UFC were very exciting, but you know, he kind of fell into that GSP mentality where he started playing it safe a little bit. Uh, you know, I don't know if Donald Cerrone's ever had a boring fight ever. Yeah, no, uh, I do want to get two questions in from listeners, and it was about Connor and Nate. Uh, first one is from at B Abraham nineteen eighty eight. He goes, "How do you feel?" Uh, the biggest UFC trilogy of all time is not for a title. Good or bad for MMA? I, I, I'm indifferent towards that. I don't think it's yeah. good or bad. It, it, it is what it is. You've got two guys that are have become larger than life that not only the hardcore MMA fan wants to see fight, but now, you know, very, very casual fans know who Conor McGregor mm-hmm. and Nate Diaz are, and they want to see it fight. So I, I, I think titles, not having a title, having a title, it's irrelevant to the fact that now we have a huge mega matchup that people are willing to pay a lot of money to see, and there's a lot of money going into the pockets of uh, the UFC right now. They're, they're, there's, a lot of big, there's a lot of interest in MMA right now. I kind of, I'm the same with you there, feeling a little indifferent about it. Uh, next up, this is from at WWE Big Show Fan 6. First fight organic, second fight needed, third is a cash grab. Obviously oh, happening, oh. but what is your appetite? It's not a cash grab. There's a real legitimate reason for the third fight. Connor won the first. I mean, Nate won the first. Connor won the second. You know, it's tied. Let, let's let's see who wins the best of three series. It was funny when the, the I had someone on uh, that Saturday afternoon uh, text me and go, how much money can I put down to say this ends by split decision by Connor? I go, oh, man, if that happens. And then when the first score gets read 47-47, I thought of that text message. I was like, oh, man. <laughs> you know, it just, you know, but obviously Connor ends up uh, getting the win there. Um, you know, also, you got to mention Lorenz Larkin, a great performance by him, now a free agent. But, Sam, when, when I look at Lorenz Larkin – you know, and his disclosed pay, I believe, was uh, thirty nine thousand to show, thirty nine thousand to win. What's the max you would give him? You know, if you're Bellator or the World Series of Fighting, I don't think it would be thirty nine and thirty nine. I mean, that's why I wonder: is he going to ultimately be disappointed? In what he? I mean, like, if you're Bellator, would you offer forty five and forty five? Not for Lorenz Larkin, no. Yeah, because he's not a star. He, for to me, if you're paying a guy that kind of money, he has to be a needle mover. Yeah, I mean, and I mean, Lawrence Larkin. This is a guy that, before he dropped the one seventy, a lot of people thought the UFC was going to cut him. You know, after he went through that losing streak, and so I just I look at that, and I just 
I think he's going to be disappointed in the offers he gets. And, you know, he's – I guess he's unhappy with his pay. At least that's what the inference I got from some of his comments. But, you know, he basically, he basically made 80000 you know, See, we all want to make more money. Right. But, you know, you got to think that, you know, if he fights three or four times a year, he's making close to 200K a year from fighting. You know, how much money does he think he's going to make from fighting? I mean, when he's not an evil, when he's not a needle mover. Yeah. I mean, it's. And look, if there's another career that he has in the back burner where he can make more than a couple hundred grand, then yeah, walk away from fighting and do that. But, you know, I, I don't think he has that option. So enjoy the money that you're making. Also on, on UFC 202, I just find Daniel Cormier's tweets just so odd that he is, you know, he is. Yeah, he's making himself look bad. I, I just, I, this is the prize fighting game. You're going to walk away from the biggest fight you can ever have financially. I mean, I, I don't understand why someone around him is not putting him aside and saying you need to stop this you won't fight john jones thing because there's no there, you're not there's not another fight out there that's going to make you that kind of money and that's not the mentality of a champion it's just not you're you're trying it looks like you're trying to duck john jones because you lost to him before and you don't believe that you can beat him you know if you and if if if, if you don't if you in your heart if you don't believe you can beat John Jones, that's fine. Not that you're being honest with yourself, but you don't need to make yourself look bad in public. Just don't even address the John Jones situation. Say, hey, as far as I know, he's under suspension. I can't even fight him. So let's I'm not even gonna talk about it until, you know, he's 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 cleared to fight. Yeah. Just it, say just say that. I, I take you saw the uh oh the my God, reported I texted, I texted you right away. That's a, <laughs> you know, and here's the question I have for you, Jason. Is it just me or are these so-called excuses being leaked intentionally by the management of these fighters to try to gauge the public temperature for them? Or is it just coincidence that they're getting out that way? It feels like they're being leaked intentionally. Based on the, uh, the reported of Cialis being the substance, I don't know if that's something you want leaked out there. But I, I, I think that they're willing to leak that out to see what the reaction is because they're willing to do whatever they can to get John Jones back in the cage. I guess yeah, he's, I mean, willing, he's willing to get that information out there if that means he can come back and, and start making millions of dollars again. Yeah. But, but to me, I find it hard to believe that a professional athlete in the peak of his career who trains and eats the way that he does, who, has, who comes from a bloodline where he has two other brothers who are professional athletes, you know, these guys must have tons of testosterone running through their bodies. I find it hard to believe that John Jones needs any kind of enhancement. I, I you know, maybe he's doing it for for fun. You know, uh, you know, I, 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 you know, when I worked in the uh, club industry as a bouncer, I knew some guys that they would just they'd get a hold of Viagra and they would do it just for for fun, give them a little extra boost. But uh, if you're John Jones. You know you're going to be tested by USADA. Why are you even putting stuff in your system like that unless you really need it? And I don't believe that he really needs that. And and I guess they haven't put that out officially as their defense, but it got leaked out there to see how everyone re- would react. And, Jason, my reaction is I'm calling BS on the thing. Yeah, I mean, um, I don't know if you saw Tim Means' inter- interview he did with Eric Hawani last week in Las Vegas, but it was a really fascinating interview because he, he talked about – the entire situation, and I thought it was interesting that it's still a legal battle for him going after you know how the 
the band Substance got in it, and you know he's talked about the the amount of money this has cost him from uh, lost you know revenue for fights and, and other things. But you know, and, and I've mentioned on this podcast, I mean, the whole tainted supplement defense is if you can prove it, and you and just by looking at what. Uh, Tim Means got, and you look at what Yoel Romero's got, we're, we're talking, you know, Tim Means was six months, Yoel Romero was nine months, so let's just say it's nine months for John Jones, so we're talking the, the failed test was from June of last year, we're going to be seeing sometime, you know, if that were to happen, the return of John Jones is not as far off as some people may realize, I mean, it's, it's not that far away. The issue I have, Jason, though, is it points out a flaw in the USADA system. On one hand, I like the fact that there is a process of due process, for lack of a better term. But I, I think there could be a, a problem in that. So let's once they find out what John Jones tested positive for, once his camp knows what it's for, the estrogen blocker, and we talked about it before, he can reverse engineer defense. So they, they know exactly what it was that he got popped for. Then they can go out and kind of shop and find out you know, what supplements might have this in it and then then they can cling on to that substance as a defense how do if if how does usada know if if john jones did in fact test positive for multiple estrogen blockers how do they know the source of those estrogen blockers how do they know whether it came from cialis or some kind of uh you know drug that's that's out there to deal with the side effects of performance enhancing drugs i mean how, how do they know how that entered in what vessel in what context that estrogen blocker entered his system yeah i I don't know so that to me is a fatal flaw in their policy and you can just reverse engineer your defense find out what you tested positive for do your research find out what supplements out there contain that element and then cling to that as your defense yeah, it's uh, you know, it's it's right around the corner. But I mean, look, I do think we're going to see Daniel Cormier and Anthony Johnson next. I don't know if the second fight goes much different than the first fight. Um, you know, but uh, it, it probably all comes down to is can that chin hold up? By the way, speaking of UFC two hundred two, are you on board for the Dominic Cruz Cody Garbrandt fight? Because yes. I am. Yes. Because I mean that that to me is a fight that has the potential to sell on pay per view. Yep. Just based on, on the trash talk. Oh, the trash talk, yeah. yeah. I mean, Cody, Cody Garbrandt can go toe-to-toe with the trash talk of... Uh, Dominic Cruz may be one of the most underrated trash talkers in MMA. The problem is he's almost too good. So you get like TJ Dillashaw and some of these other alpha male guys that are very, you know... Garbrandt Dillashaw doesn't know how to sell a fight. That, that, right. he, he really but needs to learn how to sell a fight. there's other guys, they can't, they, it's just like they, they, you know, Cruz shuts them down. He's, he's not going to be able to verbally shut down Garbrandt. No, no, that, that's and uh, I, I. It just seems that as what the UFC is going to go. Uh, one last thing we want to mention uh, here on this is actually something that came out in the Wrestling Observer, Sam. And you know what, Jason? I, I my mind drew a blank. I know I'm the one that suggested it to you. <laughs> it was that Mark Hunt. Uh, you know, may have uh, decided he wanted a little bit more money for UFC 200. Yeah, you know, Dana White did an interview and I, I didn't hear the interview. I just read the comments in the, the latest edition of the pro wrestling observer from Dave Meltzer. And you know, there was a rumor apparently out there that Mark hunt before the Lesnar fight pulled a last minute holdout, threatened to not fight unless he got more money. And you know, I've heard that story time and time again. I kind of lived it when I worked for CBS on their broadcast team leading up to the Kimbo slice, uh, Ken Shamrock fight, the first fight that was supposed to happen that didn't. Uh, you know, there's 
it looked like Ken made a little bit of a last-minute play there and tried to hold up the promotion. The promotion said no, and he said, oh, I'm not feeling well tonight. I can't fight. But it looked like, you know, the, the, it looks like that may have happened uh, leading up to the Brock Lesnar fight. Dana White wouldn't comment specifically on that report and wouldn't confirm that that's what happened, but did say that Mark Hunt has a tendency to negotiate right before his fight and ask for things last minute. And that's, uh, you know, I was lucky if Bellator never had that, at least last minute. We, we had always had guys that had more fights left on their contract and wanted to pay, be paid more and wanted to renegotiate when they were up, weren't up for renegotiation. But at Bellator, I never experienced someone backstage, you know, the day of fight saying, hey, this fight's not going to happen unless I get more money. Um, kind of interesting if maybe Mark Hunt has done that to the UFC. Yeah, no, it's it's a very interesting report there, and you know, it'd be interesting to see what happens with Mark Hunt. You know, there's kind of that's kind of really been pretty quiet uh, over the past couple of weeks. Uh, I did. Well, see- if he's holding, I mean, if he's holding out, doing these things, and not honoring his contract, and trying to hold the UFC hostage the day of his fights. You're Dana White. You might say, you know what, Mark Hunt, don't fight for us again. I paid you 700k for your for the Lesnar fight. You're one of the most highest paid fighters in the UFC. You're in your early 40s. You're you're, you're trashing us right and left. Don't fight for us. Yeah, I mean, I mean, who's going to pay him that kind of money? Well, if he doesn't fight for anyone, I mean, he can't fight for anyone other than the UFC. And if he's not asking for fights and not forcing the UFC's hand, then they don't have to fight him or release him. They get, they get exactly what they want. He doesn't fight for them, and he doesn't fight for anyone else. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what, what plays out for him. Of course, uh, by the way, there is MMA this weekend, UFC on Fox show, coming up on Saturday night. Uh, Damian Maya, Carlos Condit. Also, uh, Friday night, Patricio Pitbull, Vincent Henderson, main event of Bellator 160. And uh, as I mentioned, I'll be watching uh, the, the Bellator fights on DVR. I will be able to watch uh, the UFC fights live. Uh, of course, we also got the Fantasy Football League. Sam sent out the invitation. So uh, if we end up having some extra spots, we'll be giving those away. Yeah, and the deadline is going to be this Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern. If you have not re-upped and accepted your invitation to return, that we're going to take that as you don't want to return. And we're going to start opening up the uh, available teams to the public. And, uh, yeah, I guess I got to start reading up on fantasy football, Sam. I, I'll be honest with you. I have not read I, I get my buddies and ask me, like, oh, who should I take here? I'm you like, work for You work for an NFL radio broadcast. What do you mean you need to do research? Sam, I'm only concerned about, like, this week, I'm concerned about two teams. <laughs> you know, I, you know I, I, know, I know the Bucks roster, and uh, over the next couple of days, I'll, I'll read up on the Cleveland Browns. That's right. You got between the Bucks roster and the Browns roster. That's 180 players you've got to learn, right? Cut, yeah, cut down is uh, coming up in uh, eight days. Go down from uh, from 90 to uh, 75. Well, the only preseason game, if one matters, is the third preseason game in the schedule because that's the yeah. starters play the longest in that one. Yeah, I mean most you know most coaches you'll you'll they'll they'll play them um, at least usually until the first or, or second series of the third quarter. I mean this is this is uh, you know a lot of coaches will actually put in a game plan. You know, for this week, and uh, you know, with the Bucks are actually, uh, the Browns actually are coming into town and, and doing the practice uh, with the team. Uh, you know, the Bucks went up to Jacksonville last week for a couple of days. I mean, that's something that you really do see a lot uh, around the league. But uh, but yeah, it's uh, I, I got to start kind of paying attention to what else is going on. Uh, you know, in the league, I've been paying more attention to fantasy baseball. Sam, we, we've got two weeks left in our season, and uh, I'm in third place. <laughs> 
more paying attention. Than I that. was in second place three weeks ago, and I, my team has taken a nosedive in fantasy baseball. I'm down to number eight now. Ooh, I'm about two ooh. spots out of the playoff mix. So I, all my guys, I had Giancarlo, uh, Giancarlo Stanton lost him. Wow. You know, I've lost a lot of guys in the last couple of weeks. So it's. Uh, you know, I, I thought I was going to do back to, I thought I was going to do two fantasy titles in the same 12 month year. And, uh, you know, ha- didn't, didn't happen. So I got to, I got to get ready for fantasy football drafting, uh, Doriel Beckham green in, in the first or green Beckham in the, in the, with my first pick. That's don't, no, no one else take him. Anything else exciting going on with you, man? You know, a lot of behind the scenes stuff, but, uh, nothing I can talk about. So. Oh yeah. Yeah. I've got some, uh, behind the scenes stuff. Uh, I, I will, I'll, I'll, I want to ask our listeners, um, you know, we, we've been talking about having some big guests. I'm just going to throw it out there. We're going to have Jim Ross on on a future episode, and so uh, schedule to talk to Jim Ross next week. So uh, if you have any questions for, for, uh, for JR about uh, anything, you know, let me know, you know, and uh, maybe we'll get some of your questions in there. I'm really, uh, Sam, I'm interested to talk to, to JR kind of about the, the promoting of, uh, of the fight game. You know, in promoting wrestling, kind of get his thoughts on how he sees some of the the fighters of how they promote uh, MMA fights and even boxing fights. I'm, I'm really interested to talk to Jr. because I had an opportunity to meet him, and I, I chickened out. I was on a flight from Philly to a Bellator event somewhere, and I guess I think Raw was the uh, night before in Philly. It was uh, I flew out on a Tuesday, and he was on the same flight. I guess he was flying back home. Saw him up there. He, I guess he was getting a few drinks from the stewardess, and he was chatting everybody up. And I just, uh, you know, I should have got up there and, and spoke to him, but I, I was too shy, too shy. But uh, looking forward to having an opportunity to speak with him next week. Shy and you? I don't know. I just, uh, it was weird. It, it was like uh, I got stage fright. I'm like, that's the guy that I've been listening to because I'm a huge wrestling fan. It was just, uh, I, you know, it was a. Uh, Were you afraid of being too long winded? Yeah, yes. I was afraid of interrupting him, Jason. <laughs> yeah, you know, personally, I love that man. It's it's like when I love I love when I'm interviewing a fighter and they give me that long answer. You know, there's nothing worse than that two word answer. Nothing, oh, you no- know, a podcast a podcast with two guys that that couldn't talk wouldn't be a very interesting podcast. No, but. no, it, it would not. But uh, of course, uh, you definitely want to check us out iTunes and Stitcher. Uh, you know, let your friends know about the podcast. You know, let them know you, you like to listen to this podcast. Of course, also available on TuneIn Radio and SoundCloud. Uh, be sure to like our brand new Facebook page, facebook.com slash the MMA Insiders. Of course, we're also on Twitter, MMA Insiders PC. Also, uh, the web address, MMAinsidersPodcast.com. Sam, I think I got all the uh, the ways to listen to us covered, so you definitely want to check that out. Of course, you want to follow Sam on Twitter, uh, at Sam Clappin MMA. Of course, you want to follow myself on Twitter, at Jason Floyd, Jason underscore Floyd. Of course, uh, coming up this week, I'll have uh, some various uh, stuff out there on Bellator 160, also on UFC on Fox 21. So let's go wrap it up for episode 100 of the MMA Insiders Podcast. Follow Jason Floyd and Sam Kaplan on Twitter. Find them at Jason underscore Floyd and at Sam Kaplan MMA. This is the MMA Insiders Podcast on Radio Influence.